Hi, it's Greg and Lucky. And this is our podcast. If you don't catch us from 5 to 9, this is what you missed. Somewhere last night, for the first time in decades, Alfonso Ribeiro sat up and said, Thank God I'm not Will Smith. <laughs> <laughs> was happy not to be the Fresh Prince last right. night, for well, sure. Well, that vessel of love went down like the Titanic. <laughs> this is how it played out last night between Will Smith and Chris Rock. Absolutely crazy. Will Smith just smacked the out of me. You took my name out your mouth. Wow, dude. Yeah. It was a G.I. Jane joke. Keep my wife's name out your mouth. I'm going to, okay? <laughs> I can, oh, okay. Love that moment. Right. That's that honest, I could go for 20 minutes here right. on this. Yeah, d- d- yeah. I-, I think that was where Chris Rock really handled it well. Yeah. One, he took a hell of a shot. You know, good open slap. fist or not. Yeah. Uh, remember, Will Smith is boxing trained. Mm-hmm. He played Ali in 2002. Um, and so when he laid out that arm, it was quick. Chris Rock was the big hit of the night. Uh, yeah. Well, he took the big hit. Uh, but in that moment, Chris Rock said, well, I could. And, and knew at that moment he could sewer. Mm. Will Smith and Jada Pinkett Smith. By the way, the L.A. Uh, County Police Department saying they, there was a report of an incident uh, at the Oscars, uh, where someone was assaulted, mm. but um, the assaulted party decided not to, fave, to file charges at this point. So. Yeah, Chris Rock supposedly approached Will and Jada backstage later to apologize. Denzel Washington got involved. A whole bunch of people did uh, got involved as well. And you know, when these moments happen, it's live television, so you you got to do something. You can't just ignore it. And a couple of people had some interesting lines. Here's uh, Sean Combs and. Uh, and how he handled it. Will and Chris, we're going to solve that like family at the gold party. Okay? And then, of course, one of the hosts was Amy Schumer. Right, she was great. She had a great line. I've been getting out of that Spider-Man costume. Did I miss anything? <laughs> there's, like, there's, like, a different vibe in here. Probably not. Well, anyway. I, you know, when, when that happened, and, and the lovely Marie and I were watching it, and we hit rewind a thousand times. I think everybody did, because no one knew what happened when the mics dropped out, yeah, right? Yeah, Everyone right. thought it was scripted. Yeah, it was, just, it was so strange. And I, you know, and I thought about it a lot this morning. I was talking about it last night. Like, that step, when he hopped out of his seat, he was laughing when uh, Chris Rock made the, the joke, the comparing uh, Demi Moore's character in uh, G.I. Jane from a 1997 movie to Jada Pinkett Smith and, and her shaved head do with, what is she dealing Alopecia, with? Alopecia. She has, yeah, when her hair starts falling. Down. And at first, Will Smith laughed at the joke. Yeah. Because he was laughing. And then you saw the look on Jada Pinkett's uh, face, and that obviously is what set Will off. But as, a, as an experienced man in Hollywood who's been in this game a long time and from all accounts, everything I've ever heard of Will Smith, just pretty decent. I mean, he had the one kind of uh, fight with uh, the original mom on the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. But right, yeah. outside of that, everybody seems to love the guy. So anyhow, in my mind, I'm thinking to hop out of that seat, to go up those steps, to walk down that plank, which is probably a pretty good little hike, to be looking at Chris Rock in the face. And Chris, from his angle, I can only imagine what he saw on Will Smith's face. 
to, to not be able to control yourself, to at very least go up and say to him, you and I are having words after. Right. You know, to, to wail, to slap him on national television the night when you're minutes away from maybe winning the Best Actor Award. Right. Like, so bizarre. He'd been nominated for Best Actor twice before, once for that Ali performance yeah. and again for Pursuit of Happiness. He lost mm. both times, so this was the first win. And he was up against stiff competition, too. He was yeah. up against Denzel Washington, in fact. Um and, and and you're right. Well, Denzel you know, had words with him too. Yeah, right? he told and, him to settle down. And we had, uh, you know, we had a couple of people commenting. You know, and, and this has been the debate: Are you Team Will or are you Team Chris in all of this? I, you know, I have a theory um, that the the to me, if you go back to 2016 when Chris Rock was hosting, he came out with a joke about Jada Pinkett Smith mm. uh, because she wasn't there. She had boycotted that night apparently, um, and basically Chris Rock said, "Well, she's a TV." Mm-hmm. star um you know for her to boycott the oscars is like me boycotting rihanna's panties <laughs> i wasn't invited <laughs> it's a great line um, it was uh, and and so part of me thinks that there was something discussed beforehand whether it was by, by them or through reps that said you know it's will's night will and jada are front and center you know when chris rock when you get out there don't say anything mm. you know do not mention jada and Chris Rock said, screw it, I'll go for it. Yeah. The joke. And, and said, hey, that was a good one. It was a clean one. You know, um, although, you know, those who suffer from alopecia might not think so. Yeah, look, I, I, I thought it was a really weak joke. I, you know, for the for the talent uh, and the, the genius that is Chris that's Rock. That's why I think it was just directed. To, it was only put in because he was told not to do it. Yeah, that, that, that's, that's my kind of thinking on it. But you're absolutely right. Because we've had some people kind of uh, mention, oh, you know what? You're defending your, someone said that to my woman, I'd do that too and, and well this wasn't walking across the bar or from one side of the pool table to another in your local this was at the oscars mm-hmm. in a tuxedo in front of a, not a, a national audience a world mm-hmm. audience and to not have the self-control to your right even to, to you know to walk down that he could have just sat, sat in his seat and mm-hmm. swore there saying shut up you know, and that could have been it. Mm-hmm. You know, but to get up and walk across, and then not have the discipline to stop yourself from making physical contact mm-hmm. with someone, and later on in his speech to preach about how I'm supposed, you know, I understand. There's a lot of pressure on you. There's probably a lot going through his mind about what he wants to speak about in his speech, how he wants to deal with, you know, the legacy of Richard Williams and Venus and Serena are there, and you know, he's a vessel of love. There's so much going on. And then he came out with his vessel of love line, which, you know, again. <laughs> Get that, over yourself. That, that hit an iceberg named Chris Rock. Yeah, no, for sure. Uh, it, it was just wild. And, you know, the Oscars overall last night were actually fairly entertaining. I think they did some things finally that made it a little better. I, I liked the idea of bringing out, like, they, they celebrated 60 years of Bond and they brought out the cast of A White Men Can't Jump for their anniversary and The Godfather. I like some of that. The Bond one was fantastic. Yeah. I gotta tell you, I've always said before, I watched for the monologue and for the in memoriam. The yeah. monologue was fantastic. Were By the way, they, they did a great job in hosting it, having the three hosts. It worked really well. Yep. The Spider-Man bit that they did and the King Richard, it was funny. They 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 were they did exactly what they needed to be done. Mm-hmm. The in memoriam, I thought was quite insensitive. Oh, really? Yeah, that kind of whole gospel choir i got it i got what they were going for but it's really upbeat and Mm. happy 
when yeah, I'm not sure everyone's so happy that they're gone. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, I'm always on the kind of the side of that uh, Irish tradition of celebration rather than mourning. And right. although this wasn't spun as an Irish thing, it seemed more like a black chorus church choir going. Uh, I don't. It was a different approach. Sometimes the melodic music and all of that. It's, it's all always a been that dramatic melodic uh, theme and just pictures. Yeah. And that's it. Just flashing pictures. This one was. You know, upbeat singing, and it was mm-hmm. gospel. I get it, but it wasn't Amazing Grace. It was, you know, they even did Spirit in the Sky. Mm-hmm. You know, at one point, it, you know, I was like, "Wow, this." <laughs> I'm really not sure. You know, if my loved one had been up there, whether or not I want to see people up and clapping along. Well, it's uh, a celebration of life, I guess. Right? Yeah, yeah. Boy, it was uh, interesting. I mean, you, you, you yeah, have... there's too much slapping going on <laughs> in general. <laughs> slapping, clapping, whatever it is. Over the weekend, listening to The Rock and listening to Lee and all of us sharing stories of the Foo Fighters and Taylor Hawkins. Anytime now I hear a Foo Fighters song, I'm reading into the lyrics after the passing of uh, Taylor Hawkins. Mm-hmm. Love Dies Young. Yep. Uh, you, you just listen to that and you go, wow, is, is Dave Grohl going to ever be able to perform that song uh, live again? Or My Hero? And, and certainly on uh, Saturday morning when I woke up, I hadn't heard the news till I woke up and... I'm scrolling through social media, and there's a photo of Taylor Hawkins. And it's weird with social media. If you, if you haven't heard somebody's past, and then you see something. Nowadays, well, you know, we're so uh, used to it, that you'll see somebody's posted a photo, and this person posted a photo of Taylor Hawkins with the lyrics to My Hero. And right away, I'm like, oh, what's happened? Yeah, yeah. What's happened? <sighs> well, and, and, and not only the lyrics to my hero, that, that's, that intro is Taylor, mm-hmm. right? That, that's, that's his drumming you hear mm-hmm. right away on it. And, and so iconically good at it. Um, I, I also thought, you know, immediately went to Dave and, and thought, my goodness, you know, <laughs> the tragedy this guy has been through, mm-hmm. uh, with, with member of his, of his band and rock. And of course, uh, you know, it, it's funny. I, 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 my immediate thought was, Ah, uh, boy, is, uh, you know, has has there been another, you know, a, a significant death in a mm. band at the height of its fame? And the other one was Kurt Cobain, right? Yeah, interesting. You know, Taylor Hawkins was uh, being interviewed by Howard Stern, and this was just after they got inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And Howard was asking him about uh, what he thought of Paul McCartney connecting the Beatles and Nirvana together. And, uh, you know, his quote was, no, I really thought it was terrific in that he compared himself and the life he was leading when John Lennon died comparing to Dave Grohl when Kurt Cobain died and how he, he thought the connection was was perfect and it all made sense and how uh, Dave was able to carry on much like referring to himself, Paul McCartney said, I was able to carry on. And he said, I, I see the Foo Fighters like wings. He said, you know, after the Beatles, Paul McCartney lost to John Lennon, then he had wings. I mean, the timelines are a little different. Right, but, yeah. You know, he makes that point. And so uh, now, does 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 Dave Grohl have a, a third act in him, you know, to, to lose Kurt Cobain? No, the relationship, from what I understand, completely different in that Kurt Cobain ran that band, and Dave Grohl kind of was in the shadows and I think intimidated by Kurt Cobain, mm. and he, you know, he, he uh, has often said he had all sorts of songs and ideas in his head, but he really just kept it to himself because it was Kurt's show. Well, this was Dave Grohl's show, and Taylor Hawkins was his uh, second in command. You could see in that band that uh, that Dave Grohl ran the show, but Taylor was a close second. 
And well, their bond was unbelievable. They were incredibly, like brothers. They, they both said it, like brothers from a different mother. Well, and, and their bond might be the connection that they had on drumming. Because mm. if you remember with Nirvana, Dave Grohl wasn't the original drummer that's for Nirvana. Right. That's right. Perhaps that's why uh, he was a little more, you know, just meek or intimidated by Kurt Cobain and Chris Novoselic. And he kind of played the background role, just played the drums and, and did his job. Mm-hmm. Um, and when he brought Taylor Hawkins into the Foo Fighters, Taylor Hawkins was the third drummer. For the Foo Fighters, mm-hmm. so they they'd been through, and in fact, Dave Grohl had played the drums on most of the early recordings uh, that they had done, and so you know perhaps he felt that you know kinship to Taylor right away through that. Mm-hmm. You know, Taylor Hawkins also took a chance on on that Foo Fighters band at the time too. That they were you know they hadn't had the major success yet, right? Uh, until he had come along, and to that point, he had a pretty good gig. Uh, with Alanis Morissette on that jagged little pill tour, um, so it, it's just it, it's shocking news. I mean, at, at fifty years old, I thought about Nandy Bushel, that young uh, drummer, uh, that young girl who played with us. She was like eight, ten years old, mm-hmm. who played with them this year, and watching Taylor Hawkins watch her. Mm-hmm. Right, and, and there's there's footage. You know, when she was playing. Taylor was back at his drum kit with his own son, mm-hmm. and they were watching, and just the pride that it looked like he had um, in watching her do her thing. He and I watched a there's a, online on YouTube, there's like an hour long or even more uh, drum clinic that Taylor Hawkins did for and this a thing in the in, in the UK, I think it was a tour, tour stop, uh, was just a long drumming interview, and he talked about uh, his drumming influences from you know the likes of you know Dave Grohl and, and also the Police. Uh, and Queen. Stuart Copeland, and yeah. Queen, and, and, and Roger Taylor. I mean, it was unbelievable. And he just he seemed like a really solid dude, and and um and their relationship, Taylor and Dave, was just so tight. I, you can't help but feel bad and sad for what's happened. That's another great example of you can have all the uh, the money and the access in the world, and uh, if you're dealing with demons, they're tough to beat. I mean, he could have gone to the best clinics, the best doctors, could have had all the care taken care of him. But he obviously had sunk back into something that he was struggling with and uh, passing away at the age of 50. So they have a bunch of tour dates still lined up. They're supposed to play the Grammys coming through Toronto at some point. Who knows what happens now? I thought about that last night in watching the Oscars because uh, Travis Barker was uh, was drumming Mm. uh, with the Oscars band. Uh, And I thought, boy, the Grammys must be scrambling to do some sort of drum tribute, you'd mm-hmm. think, right now uh, to Taylor Hawkins. Yeah, we, we will see what happens. Um, you know, he, uh, Dave Grohl, after Kurt Cobain died, he uh, he went into a real funk and didn't want to be involved in music anymore, and it was Tom Petty who pulled him out of that by saying, let's just go on the road and you can play drums and let's just get back into playing music, and he did, and that brought him around. Who knows what can bring him around now, or if he even will, or if the Foo Fighters are done, who knows? And perhaps he goes back and he plays the drums again and just hires a guitar player. But he likes to run that stage. He likes to mm. go wing to wing and, and uh, really embrace the fans. So being the front man is really where he's been at now for decades. And uh, so going behind the kit full time might not be something he wants to do. And, you know, it was it's very much like when... Uh, when Charlie Watts died and, and people said, well, how can the Rolling Stones go on? And both Keith and Mick said, well, he would have wanted us to. Now, Charlie Watts was 80 years old. It's a big right. difference. But they also had contracts signed and a lot of money uh, on the line for a lot of people and a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, careers and lives and income involved for um, thousands of people because uh, it's not just about the band. And so, you know, obviously Taylor Hawkins owning a piece probably of the Foo Fighters, his family on some level, would want it to carry on, you'd think, because then they could continue through uh, 
through revenue uh, garnered from tours and records and music sales to get to get that. So who knows? It's all up in the air. Uh, I would be shocked if it was done. Uh, I, I, I'm more on the side that this will this will carry on. Uh, yeah, the, I don't the, I don't think it'll be anytime soon. But no. it, but uh, but hopefully uh, who knows? for, for music's sake eventually. Yeah. Who knows? I mean, they're all back in L.A. They'll go through the funeral. Pro- who knows? Right. With the big money involved and and the commitments, man. I just I can't. I, I, right away, I couldn't imagine Dave finding out and and what you know he would have gone mm-hmm. through and then having to call his family too. The Canadian soccer team was on fire on Sunday, and the Scotiabank Arena was on fire Saturday night. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. You know, on any other day, when I came in this morning, and I thought the same thing in my head, and the first words out of Lucky's mouth were, what the hell are we going to talk about this morning? <laughs> Very sarcastically, because, of course, so much went on this weekend. And on any other given day, the Scotiabank Arena having a fire during a Raptors game would have been something we would have talked about a few times. Yeah. Oh, but yeah. it falls so far down the list of importance. Right. One, because nobody was hurt and the, the game carried on, although to an empty stand. Yeah. Uh, People they, were upset. Well, sure, you would be. Yeah. For sure. Leave. For this thing. It's, it's way out of the it's air. It's fire. It'll be fine. <laughs> and those firefighters, you know, I'm sure in that training somewhere, they were like, when, hell, when are we ever going to use mm. this rappelling down from the roof of the building? Oh, yeah. wait. Yeah, so it was a fire outside of a TV screen or it was something. On, it right? was on a speaker. On a speaker, yeah, right. So anyhow, that was that was uh, that was put out, and the game carried on, and uh, and so that was that. But yeah, just you know, when you have Taylor Hawkins passing, and you have uh, Team Canada going to the World Cup, and you have Will Smith beating people up at the Oscars, uh, fire at the Scotiabank Arena goes uh, way down the list. But uh, it was terrific to see on Sunday. All those Canadian flags waving with pride and and certainly a terrific reason to have those flags waving. Uh, Team Canada looked great. And it's funny with soccer because I tuned in just before the half. I think they had just scored the second goal. Yeah. And they're like, well, it's over. Yeah. Book your ticket to Qatar, I think is what they said. (laughs) On the first goal... They said, is that the goal that sends Canada to Qatar? That was 13 minutes into a 90-minute game. 77 minutes remaining. Might have been a little early to start to get a little cocky. Mm -hmm. But nevertheless, that is soccer. The goals are few and far between, and so they have to be uh, as dramatic as possible. And it's it's an amazing feat. I mean, it's taken 30 years, basically. 85. uh, 86 last time. They were going to go in 86, right? But had they qualified in 85. Right. I I think that's how it plays out. Regardless, 200-plus countries uh, compete for a spot where only 32 countries can get in. So it's it's very tough to do. Well, and, and it goes by your area, your grouping, and uh, Canada being a part of this CONCACAF, North America, uh, and, uh, and part of the Caribbean and the Americas, too. Uh, it's been dominated by in the past history by the U.S. and mm-hmm. by Mexico. Uh, but listen, even if they hadn't won yesterday, they were likely going through anyway based on their performance already. Mm-hmm. And they've uh, you know done... All of this, by the way, without Alfonso Davies for the last five games, who's likely their star mm. and will be a big part of the World Cup when they do. And, and it's been an incredible run. I can't say enough about John Herdman, this coach uh, who's come in. He's got a fantastic attitude to about him. In every interview he's, he's given, he's just so positive. And, and um, you can see why his players play so well for him mm-hmm. tactically he seems to be great as well he's they've changed tactics throughout uh matches um setting up for different opponents and he is the first head coach to take both a women's and men's national team 
to a World Cup. Because mm-hmm. remember, he came in when the Canadian program was probably at its worst, both men and women. And he took over that women's program. He was aided by having uh, a player like Christine Sinclair, obviously, but had to build an offense around her and did uh, and, and took them to the heights of championships and has now got uh, switched to the men's team after ex- establishing that women's program and has taken this to a World Cup, something mm-hmm. it hadn't done in 30-something years. It, it, his you know, legacy in Canadian soccer is... is cemented and already had been and it just it sounded so great it looked amazing on television you know certainly i guess we can thank european fans for the, all the noises and the sounds and this the constant chanting and the, the sometimes the eerie sound that comes from that many people in the stadium and yet thirty thousand plus at bemo and it sounded just like it was in the middle of europe somewhere it, it could have been the chatter of their teeth yeah it was cold it was freezing down, down the, the lake wind chill Whipping right into the stadium, right at that end, yeah. behind the uh, first half Canada goal. It was crazy how you know. I felt bad for the Jamaican players too. They're like, "Oh my goodness, mm. and sign up for this." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Who plays soccer in this? It's a little, it was a little tough for them for sure. But uh, I, I just thought, uh, you know, with the winter we've had. And all the chaos of COVID, this was a nice victory, something to really enjoy for Canadians. It was terrific. And now when I see Canadian flags flying anywhere, I can think soccer. Right. And nothing else. I wanted to mention this because uh, over the weekend, well, uh, going back to in January, I went on that uh, that charity bike ride and I had the health issues and I ended up in the right, hospital. Yeah. So I've been dealing with that. And then through a cardiologist, I got sent for a nuclear stress test and an echocardiogram and all of these things. It's all, it's all coming back fine. And right from the beginning, we knew I was just physically a wreck. So um, the, over the weekend for 48 hours, they, they uh, hooked me up with something called a Holter monitor. It's a heart monitor. And basically, there's like, it's like an EKG. There's three things on your chest, and it just records your heart rate. For 48 right. hours to well, see how it fluctuates. Picked a bad weekend for that. Well, they couldn't even find my heart <laughs> to begin. <laughs> Anyhow. You're watching soccer. Oh, yeah, I was all over the place. <laughs> You're watching the Oscars. So you have to list all activities. They give you, like, this diary. Right. And it says, print clearly. They want to know when you're walking, running, sexual activity, bowel movements, napping, sleeping. So, wow. So, and, and funny enough, uh, everything you drink outside of water, but you don't have to list food. And she said, and I thought this was surprising, food, eating whatever food you're eating, whether good or bad, does not really reflect your heart rate. If you eat nothing but bad food for a very long time, of course, it yes, affects your heart. Yes, damage But time. if you, you have like a burger and fries for dinner, it's not going to, your heart's not going to go uh, register different. Anyhow. <laughs> of course, the evil side of me wanted to write the most outrageous things in this diary. <laughs> but, but I'm like, so, you know, I, I'd have like a glass of orange juice. So I'd write the time I had the orange juice and then what time I went to bed, what time I woke up, when I was on the rowing machine, all, all good things. But then uh, 5 p.m. on the Saturday uh, uh, or on the Friday, I guess, whenever they hooked me up, 5 p.m. on the 25th, uh, 5 p.m. Uh, drink, drink red wine. Ended 9.30. <laughs> and, then, uh, and then I wanted to, like, write, uh, uh, ended drinking red wine at 9.30. Sex at 9.35, over by 9.42. <laughs> I'm surprised you didn't, like, you had the monitor put on at 10 a.m. and at 10.30, dealing with myself. Yes. A moment to Having me. a moment by myself. <laughs> lasted two minutes. That's right, yeah. Wow. Then the next night. 4.10 p.m. Scotch, 7.10 p.m. 
10.30 p.m., more scotch. Wow. It's funny, because you did that bike ride with the guys from CRCS, yeah. TKI. Yeah. And I got a text from them, uh, from Kyle uh, Douglas, on, on Friday, mm. asking if I could uh, help them with a golf tournament they're having. And my first thought was, well, you almost killed Craig the last time you had one of us out. <laughs> oh, yeah. What are you going to do with me? I'm never going near them again. <laughs> Anyhow. it was, And then, and then of course, you have, to, you have to list your bowel movements. So I'm like, okay, well, regular is once a day. That's good, right? right. So Saturday, I'm like... Perfect. 11.30 in the morning, bowel movement. <laughs> Sunday, like three of them between 8 a.m. and noon. <laughs> like, what the hell is wrong with him? It was a late, long night, Saturday night. <laughs> Let's chat with Ted Reader for Holinda's Meats. Good morning, Ted. Good morning, Craig. Good morning, Lucky. Morning, Ted. How are you? I'm vertical. Yeah, I'm doing Ted. all right. Mm. Can't complain. You, me, Lucky... We're three buddies. We share a lot. We got a lot in common. We're men. We're married. Children. We often, uh, you know, we'll speak about intimate details of our life because it's good to share with friends. And today, you want to get very intimate. You want to talk about your balls. Oh, meaty, juicy balls. <laughs> <laughs> Already uncomfortable. <laughs> Less than a minute. Well, there's something else They've we all want to call. Gone to the left. <laughs> gone to the left. <clears throat> on Instagram, Ted, you have a terrific photo of your uh, smoked lamb meatballs seasoned with mustard and garlic and smashed green onion butter. Let's talk about these. Uh, yeah, one of my, uh, I, I have, uh, one of my buddies, um, his friend owns a lamb farm up in, uh, around King Carden area. And uh, uh, it's called Papa Top Farms. And so he'd given me some ground lamb, and uh, so I decided I'd make some meatballs. And so I, I, I took a, a grilling rack, and I made a bed of fresh thyme. And then into the, uh, the meatballs, I put a little bit of fresh thyme, some salt, some pepper, and some old-fashioned mustard from my friend Zane Kaplansky, his Kaplansky's mustard. Okay. And, and that's all I put into the meatballs, salt, pepper, mustard in fresh thyme, hmm. mixed it together, and then I took an ice cream scoop, and I just scooped balls. And I didn't form them into a, a uniform shape. I kind of just let them look kind of like a bowler cap, right, out okay. of the ice cream scoop. Okay. Evenly spaced on this bed of thyme, and I actually uh, did them indirect on, uh, on my charcoal grill. I was also grilling some lamb chops at the same time. but um, So I put them onto the, the right side, closed the lid, and let them smoke on that fresh bed of thyme uh, for about 25 to 30 minutes. And they were done. And while they were doing that, I took some green onions. I smashed them up. And you can just use a food processor if you want, but I just took a knife and smashed them down and then chopped them fine. And some fresh red chili, and that's optional if you want. A little bit more thyme, a little bit more salt, a little more pepper, and a big squeeze of lemon juice and some butter. And I mixed all that together. So I made a green, a smashed green onion butter. And then basted the balls with that butter, and that was it. Oh, the whole thing. They look terrific. Pretty simple. They look great. That butter sounds incredible. And something like that, I guess you could use on steak. You could use on anything you were barbecuing, right? It's great on steak. Uh, I initially made that for grilled tuna hmm. uh, out of my gastro grilling cookbook. And so I was doing a, a little video recipe last week on that recipe. And so I had some extra, some butter around and that's what I had used in it. So it was, it was easy. 
And that's the whole thing is if you don't have a lot of time, you want to make it nice and simple. And just scoop your balls, put them on a tray, pop them in the grill, cook them indirect until they're done. Doesn't take too long, 20, 30 minutes, and you're all set to rock and roll. I put those on a little brioche bun, touch of mayo. That's all you needed. Beautiful. And in a little tip you you shared there, uh, we kind of went by it quickly, but uh, but a great thing that I had never thought of. When I make meatballs, like most people, I spend all my time rounding them up in my hands, and you get some that are bigger and some that are smaller. But the ice cream scoop to, for meatballs is a terrific idea because then you get them all uniform. Yep, pretty much the same amount. Mm. And uh, it was a yellow-handled ice cream scoop, if you're looking for them out there. I think it's a three-ounce ball that okay. I was making. And nice and easy. You can make big balls. You can make little balls. Whatever size of ball you want to make. Sure. Struggle your balls. You gotta. <laughs> now, you gotta. Now, is uh, is ground lamb, uh, is it a little drier? There's a lot of fat. No, it's lean. What's the deal with the lamb? Uh, ground lamb is a, is a little bit leaner. If you wanted to, to fatten it up, you could. But it wasn't necessary. This was probably had about 15% internal fat. The key is not to overcook them. Right, you don't want to leave your your balls in that in the grill for no. like an hour. No, you they'll just shrivel up to nothing. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. right? <laughs> there'll be shrinkage, and you know what that. No goes one likes with. that, right? No, sir. Nobody likes a, a little wrinkly ball. <laughs> it's embarrassing. Yeah, well, with time they all shrivel up. <laughs> all right, Teddy. If people want to talk your balls or any sort of grilling, how do they get a hold of you, my friend? You're going to find me on the social media world at Ted Grills or at Ted Reader Barbecue the Joint. Rock Mornings with Craig Venn and Lucky. 94.9 The Rock.